this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. We are in week number two of our series called Family Dinner. And each week we are looking at, quote, rich and nourishing passages of Scripture that revolve around food. And so if you guys remember, last week we took a look at the Lord's Prayer. A lot of you guys are familiar with this prayer. It says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And now here's our line. So good. Give us this day our daily bread. We have this food reference that's in this very familiar passage of Scripture and in this prayer that you've memorized, but so often we don't stop and think about this being a food item. We just kind of move along and are like, yeah, I probably should pray before I eat. I should probably be thankful for some food. But, but really, what is this request about? Like they we're asking God for daily bread, and most of us don't stop and think about it, but last week we kind of did a deep dive on what is this bread that we're asking God for, this daily bread. And in case you weren't here because you decided to stay home and watch the Dolphins and the Chiefs play in Germany, I'm going to give you just a little update on what we talked about when you missed church. There's no judgment here. None. None. And the rest of you who are here, you were distracted too, because I saw you. You had your phone on your lap. You were watching the score. You weren't paying attention. I, not all of you, but God knows. God knows. There are no secrets. Okay. So here's, here's what we talked about last week, just in a nutshell, is that when Jesus would have taught his disciples, they're like, hey, how do we pray? He's like, pray like this. This was his model prayer. He didn't say pray this. He just said pray like this. And there's so many things that we can pull from it. But when he would have got to this line, give us today our daily bread, the audience he was speaking to were a bunch of Jews. They were a bunch of people who were raised knowing their history, where they came from. And when they heard this line, they would have thought about their ancestors many, many years before crawling out of their tent early in the morning to go and to pick up this food that was outside of their tent that God provided. It was a heavenly bread. It was something called manna. They weren't even sure what it was, but every day God was providing for them. And so when they heard daily bread, they would have thought of this story. And so last week we looked at Exodus chapter 16, and here's what it says. When the Israelites saw it, that's the manna, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Anybody ever had that with your mom's dinner before? Like, what is it? What? I don't know what it is. But Moses, he was their leader, good leader. He's kind of the guy. He said, it is the bread the Lord has given to you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which is this unit of measurement. It's about two quarts for each person that you have in your tent. So the Israelites did what they were told, and some gathered much and some gathered little. But when they measured it by the Omer, ooh, this is an intimate story time. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. I want you to think about that last line there. If you gathered a bunch, you didn't have too much. 
If you gathered a little, you didn't have too little. And I hope that you know that's how God works. When God takes care of you, he doesn't give you too much. He doesn't give you more than you need, but he also doesn't skimp on you and give you less than you need. He gives you exactly what you need. And it doesn't make sense because all the families are going to do in this. Hundreds of families are getting it, but they always got just enough. And that's where we stopped reading last week. But I want to continue today into the next verse. Are you ready? New territory. Here we go. Hang on. Verse number 22. On the sixth day, everybody say sixth. They gathered what? Twice. Twice as much as usual. Four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all of the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. They had a little question. Um, He told them, uh, this is what the Lord commanded. Like, tomorrow, tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. Now, some of them um, were not listening very well. Um, and so, so what they did is they put some aside until morning, just as Moses commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good. It was without maggots and odor. And Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. This is the first time God's ever said this to them. This idea of working six days, taking death, they've new concept. God is introducing it to them right here. But, of course, these people, they don't listen very well. Verse 27, some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day. Where'd my food? (laughs) But they found no food. And the Lord asked Moses, I always think that's a fun question. Like, so God, he said, I got a question, Moses. How long will these people refuse to obey my commandments and instructions? (sighs) They must realize That the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. It's a gift. Does God give bad gifts? No, he's a good, good father. It's who he is. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day so that you will have enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out and pick up food on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. Because they couldn't. Now, often when we start reading scripture and we get into this and we start to say, all right, we got these Israelites and there's this food outside. They don't even know what it is, but they're eating it. Originally, if they kept two days worth, it would rot on them. But then God said, no, if you get it on the sixth day, get two days worth because then you're going to rest. And when they did that, it didn't rot. It sustained them. It was good. It was wholesome. And, and, and we read this and we're like, this is like, okay, it's just Bible story time. But never before had this idea of working six days and resting a seventh ever been introduced. This is a new concept that God's doing. And we forget who these people are. Who are the people? Who are these manna-eating people? They're a bunch of Israelites who have spent the last several hundred years, generations of their family, have been slaves in Egypt. Question for you. How many days off do slaves get per year? They get any, you know, paid days off? No, they are slaves. Uh, What determines a good slave from a bad slave? 
how hard they work. You want to be a valuable slave? Increase your productivity. Be the hardest worker. Your value as a person is based upon your output. So if you want to be considered valuable, if you want to have uh, goodness come from your master, work really hard and never stop. The more output you have, the better you are. So now this is the group of people for hundreds of years. They've been born into this. This is the only world they know is I work for the man. And the more I work, the better it is. There's no rest. There's no time off. There's No, we work. This is what we do. And so God hears them when they cry and say, God, we really don't want to be slaves anymore. They don't know what a lifestyle other than being a slave is. This is all they know. But God, this is not good. There has to be another way. And God hears them because God loves them, right? And God loves them too much to leave them where they're at. So God sends Moses to say, hey, let my people go. And so Pharaoh lets the people go. And they begin to leave Egypt. The only problem with the previous slaves of Egypt, although they left Egypt, Egypt didn't leave them. They got outside of Egypt, the territory, the geographical area of Egypt, but inside of them, they still thought like they were still in Egypt. They still thought like slaves. They still thought the old way. Like God is leading them from slavery into a promised land. They're going to go from slaves to being landowners. Wow, that's an incredible shift. How do you even do that? I've never, I've never thought about owning land. I've never thought about any of this. But God has a plan for them. And in the in the in-between, in between Egypt and where he's leading them, he wants them to learn to see themselves differently. He's changing their identity. He's changing their values. You're no longer going to live according to the values of Egypt. I want you to live according to a new value system. You've had a story that you've been living, but I'm writing a new story for you. And so God did something profound. He did something that, that none of us would probably be smart enough to do. And what God did is he chose to restructure their calendars. Weird. Who would have ever thought to do that? I wouldn't have. He chose to restructure the way his people he was delivering thought about time. And essentially, when they left Egypt, he more or less said to them, this is going to be the beginning of your new calendar. This is a hard reset. This is going to be the first month from now on. And here's how we're going to handle ourselves. You work six days, and every seventh day, you don't work. Can you imagine being a slave and saying, I don't know how to do that. How do I take a day off? Why would I take a day off? God, you've led us into a wilderness. There's no food here. I feel like I should be working. I feel like I should try to take care of myself. I feel like I should plan ahead. And he says, no, no, no. That's the old value system. I got a new one. I am with you. You don't trust you anymore. You trust me. And you can do everything you need to do in six days. And that seventh day, we get to spend together. Yeah, but God, if I spend that time with you, I can't get done what I need to get done. Nope, that's not how this works. New values, new story. You're not on your own. I am with you. Be with me. Rest in me. I will take care of you. God restructured their calendars. 
If you think about it, every culture has its own way of structuring time so that it tells a story. No one's born into a world with a neutral calendar. Our calendars are structured by values and a story. In America, our calendar is full of a lot of American holidays. Go figure, right? These holidays shape our imagination and the story we tell ourselves. We have our Liberation Day, which would be July 4th. We call it Independence Day. We have Thanksgiving Day later this month, which, which is good, but it also has some complicated origins. Uh, yesterday was Veterans Day. We also celebrate Memorial Day and Labor Day and President's Day and Martin Luther King Jr. Day. All of these things are a part of our calendar, and they are all based upon a certain set of values, and they tell us a certain story. And as Americans, the thought of living by a different calendar just straight seems weird. How other cultures would live and what they, what is Boxing Day? What are those Canadians doing? Like, I don't get it. Like, we don't understand other people's calendars and how they've structured time. And for us to try to live differently than we've lived would really be disruptive to the value system that we've structured and become very familiar with. And so if you can just imagine yourself being one of these Israelites that was born into Egyptian captivity, that's the only world you know. Your whole life has been structured by this. And then God shows up, and he, through Moses, says, listen, our calendar resets today. Today is going to be the first day of a whole new creation for us. It would have been disruptive. It would have been a challenge for us to embrace this idea that every week we're going to have something called Sabbath. But God wanted them, as they go traveling towards this promised land, as they're getting ready to enter into a a difficult time, as they're going to go into a wilderness where they're going to wonder where their food is and they're going to wonder where their uh, water's going to come from, God still listen, hey, every seventh day, don't go gather any food, do no work, don't do what you need to do to survive, just rest in me. And so the ritual of Sabbath becomes the center of this entire new calendar year that God's giving them. The Sabbath principle made the people of Israel different than everybody else. It's almost as though God was saying through Moses, hey, look, the Egyptians have their kind of way of doing things and appeasing their gods and living in community. And the Canaanites in the land that you're heading, they have their way. But you're going to live dedicated to me And so I'm going to give you some new rules that are going to help establish how you live in community with each other. And so God wanted the Israelites to have a new value system. I think about this um, recently um, after uh, I've been married for 13 years and my wife has been asking for a date night, um, like on a consistent basis. It's not like I didn't date her. Um, we, We have finally begun to have a regularly scheduled date night. Uh, Thank you to the mother-in-law who comes over after a full day of work. We provide food, and she watches the kids, and me and the wife get to go out. And so sometimes we will get food. Sometimes we will do an activity. Sometimes we will just go find somewhere to sit. But the time is dedicated to being undivided time together. There's no 7-year-old, 5-year-old, 2-year-old, or television, or anybody to interfere. It's just the two of us. And it's special. It's meaningful. We look forward to it because it's the moment that we get to spend together. Sabbath, from God's point of view, is designed to be that for you. 
Hey, get down with that work. Come on, let's, let's spend some time together. Let's have a little FaceTime. It's not a heavy, like, oh, gosh, this is horrible. I wish I was working more. <laughs> oh, I got to spend time with God. Well, we, 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 we don't see God correctly sometimes. God is not boring. God is not aloof. He is not dismissive and not caring about you. No, he's interested in you. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to go through life with you. So when we look at how God has completely restructured how they're viewing time in their calendar, it starts with every seven days, Sabbath, but then he goes further because like his favorite number seven, and he introduces seven festivals, seven feasts. Man, we're getting some food going to go on in here. It's going to be good that they will celebrate throughout their calendar year. And most of us who have grown up uh, in church, although this stuff's in our Bible, we never paid any attention to it. But God created annual rhythms for his people to rest and do no work. So the Israelites, remember, they were slaves in Egypt. God confronts their slave driver, the Pharaoh, with ten plagues. And the tenth was called the Passover. And celebrating Passover is the very first feast that the Israelites are taught. Passover is to be celebrated every year, and it marks the beginning of a new year. What you do is you pick a lamb that you're going to have for the Passover. You would kill it on the 15th day of this new year, and that would kick off a seven-day festival where you're to eat no bread that has yeast in it. And on the 15th, on the first day, that's a Sabbath. All right, so, so you have your regularly scheduled Sabbaths, but on whatever day the 15th landed on, that's another Sabbath. If it was a Sabbath day, it's like super Sabbath. But if it wasn't, you get more than one Sabbath. It's a bonus Sabbath. We're getting some extra days off. Veterans Day didn't fall on the weekend. It fell on a work day, and you're federally observing. All right, so they have an extra Sabbath in here that they would celebrate at the beginning of the Passover and then the last day, so the first and the last day of it. So the Passover, in case you wondered, their calendar reset in the first month was in normally the March-April time. It was in the spring. And and Passover was, again, a seven-day festival. It would run from the 15th through the 21st of their first month. And what the focus was was remembering how God had delivered them from Egypt and how they had sacrificed this lamb and they had placed this blood on the doorpost of their home and it had brought salvation to them and that God was so kind and gracious to them that they never wanted to forget how God delivered them. Then on the second day of Passover, so Passover started on the 15th, so now on the 16th, they would have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so this is an activity where they would remember the hardships they faced as they left Egypt in a hurry. They didn't have time to put yeast in the bread and allow the bread to rise. They just said, hey, we got to go. So they just made unleavened bread and they got on the go. And so as they remembered the pathway that God led them through, they ate bread without leaven for seven days to remember the story of how God delivered them. And then... After, so you got like day 14, so day 15 is the Passover, day 16 is unleavened bread. Then whenever the Sabbath naturally occurred, after that, then we're going to have the Feast of First Fruits. 
And so what you're supposed to do during this is that you're supposed to bring a token offering of your first fruits. Remember, we're in the spring, so this is like your early crops, whatever would have came up early. And you are to not eat the first things that you pick. Instead, you're to take that and you're to dedicate it to God. And that action says, God, we believe that you are the God of the harvest and that you've provided this. And we, in faith, are not going to keep it for ourselves. We're going to give it to you, and we believe that you're going to provide the rest. We can't see it right now, but we believe that it's coming because you're a good God. Some of you are like, that sounds a lot like tithing. It kind of does. Same kind of concept. We bring our first fruits to him, and we trust that he's going to provide the rest. So these are the first three. These all take place in the spring, that March-April time. And then after we have... The uh, feast of this unleavened bread, of course, you got your first fruits in there, but seven Sabbaths after the unleavened bread, okay? So seven times seven is 49. So the next day would be the 50th day. We're going to have what's called Pentecost. Penta is the Greek word for fitty, not like 50 cent. All right, so fitty. And so this is called the, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest, all right? So this is in your Bibles, and, and we also see it called Pentecost, all right? So now this is taking place in early summer, okay? So we're in May or June, okay? And and this is a time in which you are now beginning to bring your first grain offering. So whatever grains that you had planted in the spring, they're now starting to come up. So now you're going to bring your first grain offering to the Lord. And normally what that was is that you would make two loaves of bread that actually had yeast in them. And there's lots of imagery to what those things refer to, but you would bring those as part of your offering to God, believing that God will care for you. All right, so we've taken care of our calendar. We're, we're seeing how God is starting to implement some new things into this calendar to cause us to pause, to remember who he is, to remember his values. And he's loving the number seven. I mean, it's seven days and seven times seven, and we have all these sevens. But then in the seventh month, right? So we had our first month. Then in the seventh month, three other feasts take place. It's kind of like the big month, all right? So in the seventh month, then you would have what's called the Festival of Trumpets, some of you guys have like your Apple calendars synced or your Google calendars, and you're like, what is this Rosh Hashanah? Okay, that's the Festival of Trumpets. That's what that is. And so what would happen is that they would start the seventh month by blowing trumpets and declaring that, hey, the harvest season is coming to an end. This is the end of our agricultural year. It's the beginning of a new type of civil year for them. And that would begin a time of preparation for the 10th day of the seventh month, which was the Day of Atonement, which you see on your calendars today is Yom Kippur. And so on this day, what they would do is this was the most holy day of the year for the Jews. They would have the high priest who would take an animal sacrifice and enter into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place inside of their tabernacle, and he would sacrifice this animal on behalf of the sins of all the people. It was where the forgiveness of sins came for the whole community. And so the High priest uh, would make sure that he was prepared for this. If he had any sin in his life, it wasn't going to be good for him when he went into the presence of God because no sin can enter the presence of God. And so they actually put bells around his uh, robe to where they could hear him jingling in there. And if he wasn't jingling, then he went in there with some sin. And we need to use the rope that we tied around his waist to kind of get him out of there and get the next high priest in there so we can have forgiveness. It's wild. It's wild. It's wild. Definitely wild. And on this day, there wouldn't be feasting. This would be a day that everyone would fast. It'd be a day that everyone would withhold food from their system to focus on the Lord. Every time a hunger pain came, God, we thank you that you provide for us. 
And then, that's on the 10th day. On the 15th day, we would end kind of the year with one final festival, one final feast. And it would be just like the Passover. Seven days, it'd be the 15th through the 21st. And this is called the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles. Now, some of you are like, why are you telling me all this? I'm telling you all this because God restructured his people's calendar and how they viewed time in order to impress upon them the values that he wanted them to have and to remember a certain story. See, every festival that they had tells a story. You have the story of liberation in the Passover. You have the story of God blessing them with abundance and produce so they can give back to God what he's given to them. And then in the seventh month, it's super special. It's normally around October. On the 10th day of that seventh month, God liberates them and saves them from their sin and impurities and all the death that they introduced to the world. And then it culminates with the retelling of our journey through the wilderness. So on the festival of booths or tabernacles, here's what the Bible says in Exodus, how you're supposed to do that is that you're supposed to go and you're supposed to build for yourself a tent. And for those seven days, you live in your little makeshift tent. And what it's to do is to remind you that your ancestors lived in tents in the wilderness. And in the center of their camp was a large tent, which was Yahweh's tent. And it was the place that God would come and that the high priest would connect with God. And so why you celebrating in the tabernacle of, in the festival of tabernacles, is you would create your own tent. You would create your own meeting space that you could meet with God. That you actually become a high priest. No longer is it the high priest. No, no, I am a high priest. And it's a reminder that God is with us. And in this seven days, I'm not living in my regular house. I'm not living where I normally live. I'm living in this tent. This is a reminder to me that this life is not my end destination. My home is not here. I am just passing through. I'm headed to another place. And every year, it was important for these people to remember that God was leading them to a better place. I don't know if you know this or not. This is not your home either. God is leading you to a better place. We don't remember that because we don't have that integrated into our calendar system. But for them, this was an important symbol and reminder that points toward a better place. It's a reminder that we haven't arrived yet and that we're on an unfinished trip This is not my home. We're journeying on a way to a final resting place. Now, there's a whole other layer to this that we don't have time to unpack. But in short, when God restructured their calendars, he was actually foreshadowing some things that he was going to do later. And so you see, when Jesus was crucified as the Passover lamb, that took place on the first day of Passover. And he rose from the grave, which would have been on the Feast of First Fruits. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. After he's resurrected on that day of first fruits, he spent 40 days teaching his disciples, then he took off to heaven. And then get this, it was the 50th day after his resurrection, the seven times seven Sabbaths plus one, that was the day of Pentecost that we find in Acts chapter 2, that God sent his Holy Spirit to indwell the believers. It's kind of cool, huh? It's a little deep, a little nerdy, a little heady. But God is way bigger than us. And he's doing things that we don't always understand. 
But he wants us to keep our eyes fixed on him. And so for you today, you know, when we talk about how God gave the Israelites this ritual calendar to structure their lives around, um, in which they're going to dedicate and set time aside to spend with God and to relive their stories of people. If you're like me, I'm just going to be honest, if I'm sitting where you're sitting, I'm like, yeah, is this pastor getting ready to tell me that I need to start doing some Sabbath, that I need to start restructuring my time? Because I don't think so. That sure sounds a lot like religion. And I'm not into religion. I am into relationship. And there is freedom in the name of the Lord. And I'll do what I want to do. And God will be with me. So I get it. I I totally get it. And I am going to be that pastor that's going to challenge you to think about how your calendar is structured. Not that you need to follow the Jewish calendar. But does your life have rhythms in which you're able to connect with God? that you're seeking him, that you're thinking about him, that you're not doing things in your own power. It's a very un-American way to live. But I think it's the way that we're called to live. There's a guy by the name of Jefferson Bethke, and he wrote this. He says, rituals are the habits of meaning that give us an anchor and add depth to our lives. As a culture, we're losing ritual and we're losing rhythm. We're losing rootedness and depth and anchoredness. I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that no matter what storms may come in my life, that I'm anchored to the truth. That I'm in relationship with God. It's not just something I did. It's not just something I believe in my head, but there's actual ongoing relationship with God. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.